Well, good morning. It's great to see you. Uh, my name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. And uh, it's great to be with you this morning. If you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 7. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can follow along in one of the blue church Bibles that's uh, near you. Uh, I think on the ground at the end of the row. And you can find um, the passage we'll be reading there on page 843. Let me invite you to stand with me as we read Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 24. And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did, want, did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? God, as we come to your word now, would you give us faith like this woman? Uh, This woman whose name we don't know, but whose words uh, Christians have clung to for 2,000 years. God, would you help us to uh, feed on uh, your word as we come to you by faith in Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated, please. Well, we have all at some point experienced, had the experience of uh, the uncertainty and the awkwardness of a new relationship and kind of entering into a new uh, relationship and wondering, what what does this person think of me? Are they going to accept me? Are they going to... Uh, like me? Are they going to, uh, or are they going to reject me? Uh, it, it's probably most obvious to think of that in terms of a romantic relationship. Um, you know, maybe think of uh, your spouse or significant other. Uh, maybe this was a long time ago. You know, at that, those early days of the relationship where uh, you feel like you're kind of putting yourself on the line, and you're you're wondering, like, do they do they like me? Uh, will I be accepted, or will will I be rejected? But this thing happens, I think, in all kinds of relationships. Um, It happens in job interviews, right? Or in a performance review. When you're sitting in front of uh, your boss or a potential boss and wondering, what what does this person think about me? Will they reject me or will they accept me? I, uh, I was recently in a fundraising appointment, and I was sitting there talking, having breakfast with this, uh, this man who's uh, given to our church in the past, and uh, <laughs> I just had this kind of awareness of, um, in the middle of this meeting, of just being kind of like overly uh, hypersensitive, overly aware of my body. Like, why am I folding my arms? Should I be folding my arms right now? 
Am I talking too much? Am I not talking enough? Is he eating his food? Am I eating enough food? Are we talking about enough small talk and things that actually matter? You know, um, uh, we've all had experiences like that where we're approaching somebody that we care about or somebody we respect and we, we desperately want to be accepted. And yet there is this fear, this, um, this concern that we will be rejected. This summer we're looking at the book of Mark and um, we're calling this series The Real Jesus because the question that Mark poses to us is, who is Jesus? Um, and he's building towards the climax of, he's going to answer that question in Mark chapter 8, which we're going to look at next week. But before we really get to the climax even of the book of Mark, uh, Mark kind of puts this second question in front of us that we're looking at this morning. And that question is this, uh, how do you connect with this person? How do you approach Jesus? Um, how, do you, how do you connect with God? How do you relate to him? How, how do we approach him? And just like any human person that we would approach, there is this sense in approaching God, there's this anxiety, this uncertainty. Will I be accepted or will I be rejected? How do you uh, approach God? I know on the surface, um, that might seem to many of us, the culture that we live in, like kind of a silly question. What do you mean, how do you approach God? Like he's always there, right? You approach him however you feel like approaching him. Uh, he's always ready to help. He's always available. We can access him whenever and however we want. And yet, if we begin to probe even just a little bit, things get more complicated because every one of us knows someone that has had an experience. In fact, many of us in this room have had the experience. I mean, if you've been alive and, like, conscious for... Uh, any length of time, you've certainly had the experience of, of calling out to God and feeling like he is not answering you, right? Um, recently, I was talking to someone who was struggling in his, in his marriage and just saying, I'm struggling to connect with my, with my wife. And I, I'm asking God for help, and I'm pleading, and, I'm, and I, just, I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. I'm begging God to intervene, but nothing seems to change. How do we approach God? Well, there are two ways I think that human beings have tended to answer that question. There are two ways that human beings have tended to, to try to approach God. Uh, the first is to think that we've earned it, that we, that, we, um, that we are basically good people, you know, and therefore, you know, there was kind of the, the I don't know, the ancient version of this, which is, you know, God is this, He's a bloodthirsty God, and we have appeased him with our sacrifices or whatnot. But, I mean, when, when people say today, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person, you know, uh, that's the same thing. It's saying I can approach God on the basis of who I am and what I have done. Or we simply take his presence for granted. Uh, we say God is everywhere, and we have this kind of vague sense that he's always available to us, and yet... We have a very hard time talking about how he's actually showing up in our lives, how he's made himself known to us in tangible, concrete ways. Well, what we're going to see in this passage this morning is that if we hear what Jesus is saying to us, it is absolutely breathtaking. Uh, 
What Jesus is telling us in this passage is that every human instinct about how to relate to God and how to approach him is utterly wrong. And yet there is a, there is a way to come into the presence of God. There is a way to approach God. There is a way to connect with God um, that is utterly bold and yet thoroughly humble. Does that make sense? It is utterly bold, and yet it is thoroughly humble. And so I want you to look at this passage with me. Uh, what is happening in this passage? It, it says that Jesus, uh, it begins by telling us that Jesus has escaped. He's gone away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And that doesn't mean a lot to us, but, but what uh, Mark is telling us is that Jesus has been ministering in the Jewish provinces of Palestine. And uh, his ministry is going so overwhelmingly well that people are constantly coming to Jesus and listening to his teaching. And uh, they're constantly coming to him to be healed. And Jesus is exhausted. And so he leaves the Jewish regions and he goes to Tyre and Sidon, which is over on the coast, to get away. And yet it doesn't work. (laughs) Because even in uh, the Gentile regions... Uh, where Jesus hasn't been ministering, people have heard about him. And so this woman comes to Jesus, and uh, she comes and finds him, and she has a problem. And uh, it says that her daughter has an unclean spirit. And it says that she keeps on begging Jesus so much that uh, Matthew also tells this story in Matthew 15. And uh, in Matthew's version of the story, Jesus' disciples say, Jesus, would you just send this woman away? She won't leave us alone. She won't be quiet. She just keeps on nagging us. Please, Jesus, send her away. But she's persistent and she won't go away. And what we see from that is that she's overwhelmingly desperate. Um, Tim Keller, uh, in his book on, on Mark, he, he says that there's kind of a spectrum of people from like the very timid to the very bold. Uh, there are people who are, who are kind of cowards, and there are people that are heroes. And, um, but there's a different category of person that is not on that spectrum whatsoever, and that person is called a parent. And um, you know what this means if you've ever taken your child like, to the ER. Uh, you know, like humanity is at its worst in the waiting room of the ER, right? And uh, maybe your child has a fever, maybe your child has a broken arm, and you go into the ER, and there's like people bleeding from the head, and crazy people muttering to themselves, but you don't care because your child has a need, right? Um, A parent is a person who is desperate. There's this urgency that is driving this woman to Jesus, and she pleads with him for help. She brings this desperate need to Jesus, and it does not go well at all, does it? this passage is, is, um, is startling in what Jesus, how Jesus responds to this woman. This is one of those passages that's never going to get put into like a Jesus uh, a story, a children's storybook Bible. Um, this is a passage that kind of turns upside down the idea that Jesus was just this um, gentle man that wore a dress and he said like innocuous things that never offended anybody. Because Jesus' response to this woman um, is startling. 
She, she throws herself at Jesus' feet. She begs for help. And Jesus says to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. There's this woman pleading with Jesus, falling at his feet, begging him for help. And Jesus calls his daughter, her daughter a dog. Um, so I don't know what you're going to do with that. Um, it's funny, this week I've read several commentaries on this, and everybody wants to try to like bend over backwards and say, Jesus isn't being rude. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, it's shocking what he says. It's shocking what he says. It certainly sounds like an insult here, because uh, this woman is a Gentile. It just means that she's not a Jew. But in the Bible, there are basically two categories of people. There are Jews, and there is everybody else. And the Jews believed that they had the corner on the market of God's favor and that everybody else was unclean. And the Jews referred to the Gentiles as dogs. And so Jesus says, I'm here to give bread to the children of God, not to throw it to the dogs. Um, What is Jesus saying? Well, dogs in this uh, culture were not like, they weren't obsessed with dogs the way that we are. (laughs) Like, some of you guys need help. Um, And I say this as a committed dog. Like, I'm not a cat person. I'm definitely a dog person. Uh, But you guys treat your dog. I don't have a dog, so... um, Some of you guys treat your dogs like they're your children. Um, Dogs during this time were not household pets. They were like wild beasts that would rove the streets scavenging for leftovers, and so they were, they were unclean, they were, they were gross. And um, so it sounds like Jesus is insulting her. But if we big, dig a bit deeper, uh, I think there's something else going on here, that Jesus' response to her is uh, in the form of a parable, or another way to say this is Jesus kind of responds to her request for help with a riddle. Um, he says something that is confusing Um, In Matthew's version of the story, uh, in Matthew 15, Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And what what he's saying is that Jesus had a clear sense of purpose and mission for what he was was to do in his earthly ministry on life, uh, on on earth. And um, Jesus had this clear sense that he was sent to minister to the Jewish people. Now, the f- almost the first thing that happens after Jesus is resurrected from the dead is he sends the church out to minister and to serve all the nations. And so Jesus clearly had this global perspective and scope for his ministry. But he says repeatedly um, that he was sent in his earthly ministry to minister specifically to the Jewish people. And there's all kinds of reasons for that that I'm not going to unpack now, but essentially what's happening is this woman is desperate for help, and Jesus said, I was sent, Jesus' response is, I was sent to minister to the children of Israel first, not uh, to the dogs, and it wouldn't be right for me to take what was meant for the children of God and, and, and give it to the dogs. So how would you respond if Jesus, uh, you know, answered your request for help by calling you or your child a dog? Now, most of us, I think, would, I mean, excuse me, <laughs> what? <laughs> who do you think you're talking to here? Uh, do you know who I am? Like, nobody talks to me like that. I have value, I have worth, I have rights. But here's the incredible thing about this woman, is that that is not how she responds. 
Um, and in fact, one, one commentary I read on this passage made the observation that um, this woman is the first person recorded in the Bible that actually understands Jesus' parables. Jesus is always speaking in parables, and finally his disciples take him aside and they're like, Jesus, nobody understands what you're saying. And this woman, in the moment, Jesus calls her a dog, and she accepts the kind of implied critique and actually furthers the metaphor by saying, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs or the scraps that the children drop. This woman is utterly amazing. She's saying, I get it. I don't deserve anything. But there's enough food on your table for everyone in the world, and I'm just begging. I'm just begging for a scrap, for a crumb, for a little morsel. That would be enough for me, but I need it now, God. Do you see what she's saying? It is so, it is so deeply ingrained in us um, as, I don't know, 21st century people, Ameri- Westerners, Americans, most of us, uh, that when we ask for something, we ask for it on the basis of our rights. Just last night, we were uh, out for a walk as a family, and my kids are like kicking the soccer ball around, and one of my sons is yelling at his brothers, going, he goes, Porter, pass me the ball. I deserve it. <laughs> I said to my wife right then, I'm like, that's going in the sermon. <laughs> I deserve it. Um, we don't know how to stand up for ourselves unless we are pleading our own case. Unless we're saying, I have rights, I have value, I have dignity, look at me, I'm, come on, just give it to me, I deserve it. Let me be clear, human rights are wonderful and good, and whenever we see the rights of another person being trampled, we should intervene. But do you understand that when it comes to the almighty creator of this world and all that exists, that he doesn't owe you anything? We don't have rights when we stand before the creator God. You have to understand this, because if you don't, You're never going to understand how beautiful Jesus' response is because this woman continues to plead with Jesus, but she doesn't plead her rights. Do you see that? She pleads, but not on the basis of who she is. She pleads instead on the basis of who Jesus is. She doesn't say, how dare you? I deserve this. She doesn't say, give me what I'm asking for because, you know, I'm like a pretty good dish person. She says, please give me what I don't deserve on the basis of who you are. I don't deserve it, I know. I'm just asking for a scrap. I'm just asking for a crumb. She's not pleading her rights, but Jesus' mercy. And because that, she can be, at the same time, she can be uniquely bold, but also humble. So we think that so often the boldness is kind of like plucking up the courage to like assert something about ourselves. And this woman can be so bold because Her boldness is not based on who she is at all. Have you ever thought or said something like, well, you know, I asked God for help and he didn't do a darn thing. I mean, let me be clear, I totally get it. (laughs) But isn't implicit in that statement the, the, uh, the implication, I used implicit twice in that sentence, but it's okay. The assumption that God owes me something, that I deserve something. 
And this passage shows us that God is rich and full of mercy. There is enough food on his table for the whole world. And we should come to him and ask him for it, not because we deserve it, but because he is kind. This passage shows us that when we approach God, we must come pleading not our rights, but his kindness. We come bringing all of our junk to him. And so we don't plead who we are, but we plead his kindness. God, I know I don't deserve anything from you, but you are rich in your love and your grace overflows. God, please just give me a crumb from your table. God, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in my marriage. I'm stuck in my work. I'm stuck with my children. God, I don't know what to do, and you don't owe me anything, but in your kindness, would you just give me a little bit of your wisdom? God, please. This passage shows us that when we come to God pleading his grace instead of our rights, he will not reject us. So this woman is bold and yet humble, and Jesus is stunned. Um, Every translation you read, whatever translation of the Bible, it translates uh, Jesus' response a little bit differently, but it's literally, it says something like, a Jesus, Jesus' response when she says, Lord, yes, but even the, even the, the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the children's table. Uh, Jesus' response is something like, what an answer. <laughs> and because of that, your child is healed. How do we approach God? Uh, most of us would say something like, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm not perfect. So I, you know, I'm only human, but... You know, why I get too caught up in the details, doesn't God love me just the way that I am? And I think that that statement is a little bit like the way I think about what's going on right now underneath my couch. Like, do you know what's going on underneath your couch right now? Like, do you want to look and see? Like, we know, we have this vague sense that, like, it's dirty, it's gross, there's, like, dust bunnies and things that I've lost and forgotten about under there. But I don't want to really look and like pull it away from the couch, away from the wall, and look at it all, the, the, all of the mess, right? I'm not going to look too closely. And if we stopped, if we really stopped to look at what's going on in our hearts, the question of approaching God raises all sorts of insecurities with us because uh, maybe we're just ignoring the details, but we have some vague sense that like it's kind of gross in there. And if I'm anxious about being rejected by a new friend or romantic interest or prospective employer, then how much more insecure do I feel when it comes to approaching the God of the universe, who is good and pure and holy? But as the Gospel of Mark continues, we see ultimately, ultimately why we can approach God. Because as Jesus goes to the cross, What we see on the cross is that the perfect child of God hangs there on the cross, stripped naked and suffering, so that we, the undeserving, can be brought to the table. On the cross, Jesus is cast out of God's presence. On the cross, Jesus is treated like a dog so that God will treat the undeserving dogs like us, like children, and welcome us to his table. We can approach God with boldness, pleading not our rights, but his mercy, because Jesus took our rejection and gave us his acceptance. That's the good news of this passage. So I want to just kind of wrap up in a few minutes 
by saying two things about the so what question. So what? What should we do? Well, the first thing that I want you to hear is this. God always gives you exactly what you need. Um, Some of us know what it is like to cry out to God, to plead with God, and to sit in silence. And what I want you to hear, and and I don't want to make light of that because it it is overwhelmingly painful. And yet what you need to hear is that God always gives you exactly what you need. And I know that because the very next passage, Jesus interacts with another, I think, Gentile man and heals him immediately. So there's a woman who comes to Jesus and needs help, and he at least initially rejects her or asks her to wait, right? And then there's an almost similar, I mean, different circumstances, but similar situation where another person comes and Jesus heals that man immediately. Why does he heal one and ask the other to wait? It's because Jesus always gives you exactly what you need. Um, I heard somebody say that in this passage, Jesus is drawing out the mama bear. And that's such a beautiful way to put it. Because... Like I said, like, uh, you know, there's a different category of people that's called parents. And it is so easy for a parent to come and say, the thing that is most important in the world is what is going on with my child right now. And this woman brings that need to Jesus, and he essentially just doesn't ask her. He causes her to wait. Because what Jesus knows that what is more important than what's going on in this little girl is what's going on in the heart of the mom. And he's eventually going to take care of both, but he draws out the mama bear to expose the real problem. Jesus always gives you exactly what you need. He's not messing with us when he asks us to wait. He's giving us what we need. And sometimes we need to simply sit in silence and call out to him as he exposes the heart of the issue. Okay, that's the first thing. But the second takeaway for us is this. Uh, What should we do in light of this passage? We should pray. Um, Whether you are somebody who is here this morning and you consider yourself a Christian, or you're a person who says, uh, I don't know that there's a God, or I believe that there's a God, but I don't know that Jesus, uh, Jesus makes him known to us. We should pray. You should call out to God. You should cry out to him because it is only those who know they have a father who truly cry out to him. Uh, Russell Moore is a, uh, is a pastor, uh, fairly, um, I don't know, well-known if you follow that kind of thing on the internet. And um, he's a Southern Baptist. Uh, it, he, he, not that that matters. Um, <laughs> but Russell Moore, in, in one of his books, I think, talks about uh, this experience his wife, he and his wife had, uh, many years ago when they went to Russia to adopt two uh, one-year-old boys. And he says, um, the creepiest sound I have ever heard was the sound of nothing at all. And he talks about going into this uh, orphanage. And he said it was, it, the stench was horrible and some of the things we saw uh, made us feel like we had to hold back you know, the, the, the urge to just vomit. But the creepiest part of it all was that it was absolutely silent. 
in an orphanage full of hundreds and hundreds of children. There was not a sound. He said these children did not cry because infants eventually learn to stop crying if no one ever responds to their calls for food, comfort, and love. And no one ever responded to these children. And so they stopped crying. And he says for, uh, for several days, he and his wife, uh, every morning would walk through this silent orphanage <clears throat> to go spend time with these two one-year-old boys that were to be their children, become their sons. And he said that we spent all day playing with them and reading them books, and they were silent. And at the end of the day, we would walk back through the silence and leave. Until the end of the week came, when it was time for us to say goodbye because we were legally required to go back to the United States as the paperwork was being filled out and completed. And he said, we hugged them and walked out of the room in tears. And that's when we heard the scream. Because this little boy had gotten the sense that he was loved and he had a father. And Russell Moore said, that's when I learned what it means to cry out to God because it is only those who know that they have a father who loves them that truly cry out to God. And so the question for us is simply, what about us? I mean, do you pray? (sighs) You have a father who loves you. You have a father who calls you his own. And crying out to him is a sign that you know that you are loved. So call out to him. Uh, The Book of Common Prayer is... um, depending on your background in the church, you may not be familiar with the Book of Common Prayer. The Book of Common Prayer is sort of central to the life of the Anglican church, the Anglican tradition of of Christians kind of gathers around the life of prayer and common prayer. And um, Thomas Cranmer wrote the first Book of Common Prayer, I think in the early 1600s. And um, the Book of Common Prayer is, is, is great. It's almost funny because there's a prayer for everything. Like, we got a new church building, like, turn to page, what, 385, and there's a prayer to pray for that. And uh, he, he wrote, I, um, I love the title of this prayer, uh, the, the prayer of humble access that Anglicans often uh, pray as they approach the Lord's table. And um, the, the, the prayer of humble access says this, we do not presume to come to your table Merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, which is another way to say trusting in our own rights, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but your character is always to have mercy. How can you approach God? Come to him, bringing your needs. That's the only way we can come to him. Come to him as you are bringing your needs, but pleading not your rights, but his mercy, his kindness, his goodness. And like this woman, you will not be rejected. 
because there is enough food on his table for everyone on earth. And if we beg for the scraps, he will give us more than we need to satisfy every longing. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this incredible woman, this incredible woman who knew that she was an outsider, who knew um, that she didn't have a case to plead. And maybe it's because she was so aware of her need that she came into your presence and teaches us how to approach you as well. God, would we be humbled as we consider the fact that before you, uh, we are undone, we have nothing. We have no case to plead. And so we plead not our own rights, but the mercy of Jesus, who lived and died and rose again on our behalf. Would you help us to be people who cry out to you because we have experienced the love of a father? Please hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.